earlier, Brother Todd and I were praying before the service, and one of the things we prayed specifically that God would um, guide our words. And um, earlier when I was speaking, I said that we would be obligated to help you. That wasn't the word I intended to use. Um, it's a hard thing to see, but um, if there's a way in which we can help you access that, we want to do that. So hear my heart in that. And uh, just a reminder, right? Man, just as much as even we pray, we're still weak. And um, some things don't always come out clearly, or as we would hope they would. Talking about things not being clear, unfortunately, this morning, um, the hopes to use the stuff I had worked to prepare, um, the iPad is locked out, and the code is unknown to this father. So, um, anyway, you've probably been there, right? And so we've tried and tried, and um, it just keeps saying longer and longer. So, the good news is, no, it's okay. The good news is the Word of God still stands, beloved. Amen? So, man, we don't need the iPad, whatever. I'm thankful for it. It helps us. Um, but let's look this morning, Genesis chapter 5. I want, you, I want you to hear the text of Genesis 5. It's a, it's a little bit different, probably in the rhythm of thinking, oh, man, are you really going to preach that? It is. It's a genealogy. And so I want you to hear it this morning as we begin to walk through it. Hear now the Word of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, again, this is Genesis chapter 5, as you're finding your way there. We're now in verse 6. He fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were at 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he had fathered Kenan 850 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahel, Mahel Alel. When Kenan had lived after he had fathered Mahel Alel, 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he had fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 160 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he had fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech, and Methuselah lived after he had fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he had fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so concludes the reading of God's Word in Genesis chapter 5. 
I assume that most of us probably in some way have some interest in genealogy. You want to know about your descendants, where you came from. For the people of Israel, that's true, not only about where they came from, but it's also important because it tells them the tribe from which they came, their role in society, and more, more so, it tells them their connection to God's promise. As they trace their genealogies, they're finding their way ultimately back to Abraham, this man of faith through which God had promised these things. But genealogies also confront us with a harsh reality, and it's this truth. We all are going to die. We all are going to die. Genesis 5 confronts us with that truth. Genealogies confront us with that truth. The truth is, even now, as we pause to remember those who have died for our country, we find ourselves uncomfortable about the topic of death. It's something about being reminded that we are mere mortals. And that our lives are a vapor, that we're here today and gone tomorrow, that makes us extremely uncomfortable. But beloved... God does not want us to shut our eyes to the consequences of sin. He wants us to be aware that we are all going to die. But if you notice, there was an exception. There was one man in this list who did not experience death, Enoch. And Enoch's life says to us this truth. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. You're with me. Romans 6 and 23. The wages of sin is death. That's our big truth today. We're kind of painting the picture of what Romans 6 and 23 makes emphatic. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So as we walk through this text today and see some of these truths unfold, we begin with this first question that Genesis 5 asks of us in verse 1 and 2. Why were we actually created? As we contemplate our death, our own mortality today, as you think about what will the end of my life look like, you have to wrestle with, why am I even here? What's the purpose of living now? Genesis chapter 5 answers that, telling us we weren't created to be under sin's rule. We weren't created, that's our first truth, to be under sin's rule. Look at me, would, verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man. This is why we speak of mankind. Why? Because this is what God speaks of us. It includes men and women. So it's not just some male chauvinist language. No, this is the verbiage that God's using in the Bible. He names them man when they were created. We might ask, why does Genesis 5 return back to Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 28? Reminding us about why we were created. I think the truth is because Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4 can distort our view. Right? We can get lost as we walk in Genesis chapter 3 and see the first sin there in the garden. And then we come to Genesis chapter 4 and we see the first children, Abel, marry his brother Cain. Did it start working? Man, look at that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Man. Man. That says something to us men, right? Ask your bride. Yeah, I hear you. Um, all right, so, so listen, as this thing comes to life there, we'll, we'll, we'll keep walking with it. Um, so again, why are we back to Genesis chapter 5? Why is he speaking back in Genesis 1, 26 to 28? It's the reminder, right, of this truth. 
that what we've seen is distorting our view as we're seeing death and murder take place. It can cause us to forget why were we actually created. And the Bible's saying to us, guys, we were created to image God. This is not God's path. This is not what God intends or desires for us. He intends a different way that you and I would live differently in the truth of God's Word. And that we won't forget in the midst of our lives of sin and brokenness that we won't forget why God put us here to begin with. It's to image Him. But again, in a life of Genesis 3 and 4, we can get lost and forget our, why our purpose and why our lives lose meaning. And so today, this text reorients our hearts and our minds to return back to this truth. So this morning, look, again, as we, we listen to Genesis 5, 1 and 2. He made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them. And He blessed them and named them man when they were created. He's saying, guys, listen, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen those Snickers commercials, right? Where typically somebody's there and they begin to act crazy and like they do all this stuff, they're disoriented and it's like, man, that person's hangry, right? They're just hangry. And it's like the reminder is Snickers tells you that you're not yourself when you're what? Genesis 5 in some way seems to say to us in the opening verses, you're not yourself when you're under sin's rule. This isn't why God created you. We're sin angry, so to speak, right? It, it, it's, it's wreaked havoc upon our lives and our hearts and our minds. And so we're wrestling with that truth there as we walk through it of just this hope of the gospel. I apologize. I, I'm trying to pull this up and multitask and I'm struggling. In light of that, right, as we think about this fact that sin's rule is, is on us and this is not what we were created for. Maybe today that you need to ask yourself. What area of your life has sin begun to rule? What lustful glances are growing in light of what we've just heard this morning in our time of confession about our own Southern Baptist Convention? I'll be honest, I've been convicted this past week of my failure to uphold Ephesians 4 and 29 to not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up. So that meant that I had to apologize to a 12-year-old this week just about the way I'd spoken to him. How about you? Maybe it just as you think again about sins, you were not created to be under sin's rule. What areas of your life do you see sin beginning to take its grip on your heart and your mind? I think we need to ask this question. What good things in our life have become God's? See, it's not often just the bad things in our lives, but often it's the good gifts that God's given us that we now put in the place of God. We celebrate, we treasure, we give more of our time, our finances, our interests, our passion to those things more than the creator who gave them to us so again genesis 5 began saying to us that we were not created to be under sin's rule and then the rest of the chapter begins to pull back sin's carnage saying to us this second truth sin's wage death will be paid by us all sin's wage death will be paid by us all right as we heard the text unfolding right it was just this seemingly patterned again and again and i'll just use adam as an example right here in the opening verses right is this is truth we hear that a, a man will live he'll father a son that's the second thing that happens and and then and so he, he gets that child named and after that then he's going to have other sons and daughters and then we hear this last refrain and then he died 
It's so this, this pattern of they live, they have a son, they have other children, and then they die. It's this pattern throughout this genealogy. keeps unfolding time and time again. Now, this doesn't mean that, like, they die immediately, right? I mean, you, you've heard the ages, right, of those. Take, for example, Adam. He lives 930 years. In fact, we have the answer to Bible trivia right here in Genesis chapter 5. Who is the oldest man to ever live? Who is it? Methuselah. He's right here in Genesis chapter 5, 969 years. And maybe you're here and you're like, dude, do you really believe people live that long? Well, it's interesting, right? We have other genealogies in history. One is, example is the Sumerian kings. The Sumerian kings note that their kings, who interestingly enough lived before the flood, lived anywhere from 28,000 to 43,000 years. So when I hear that, I think, you know what? A few hundred years isn't that hard to believe. But maybe you're asking, well, Blake, if that's true, right? The Bible's actually accurate in these recordings of these lives. Then what happened? Why is it so different now? Well, we could answer several things about that. But if you'll notice it soon after the flood in the coming chapters that lifespans, although they are 100 years, seem shortened. And then we come to the truth of passages like Psalm chapter 90, verse 10. It says the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. It seems that our lifespan typically, which what you notice, is typically 70, 80. Does that mean they're exceptions? Absolutely, they're exceptions. But this general principle begins to weigh true of Psalm 90 and verse 10. So it helps explain how did we get from the lifespans we see in Genesis chapter 5 to where we are now. But remember the context surrounding Genesis 5 as well. In Genesis 4, it was death by murder. And then in three chapters, the next following three chapters, chapters 6 through 8, it's the flood that wipes out the entire human race, save Noah and his family. The reminder is this, from the text surrounding Genesis 5, death is inevitable. Hear that today. Death is coming to us all. And that may be by murder or old age divine judgment, or something else. But the truth from the Word of God is sin will have its wage. And the wages of sin is what, church? Death. In light, I think we could ask maybe some important questions. So what? We all die. That's nothing new. Kevin Young, I think, Pastor, he notes that Moses is doing something important, saying that these are real people here. They're real people who have real lives, who have families and, and They have legacies and children after children, right? They go on and they die. Why is that important? Well, I think because when we come to Genesis chapter 12 through 50, most of us have no problem wrestling with that being truth, right? That there was a man by the name of Abram who becomes Abraham and then on into Joseph and his family and all the things as we journey our way into the book of Exodus, right? But when you come to Genesis chapters 1 through 11, most people hear about creation and this Garden of Eden and this flood and this Tower of Babel. And they're like, myth, or like that's made up, or that's fantasy. But in the middle of it, we have Genesis chapter 5 that seems to say to us, these are real people. Adam was a real person. He lived, he had a family, and he died. Connecting us to Noah, who will ultimately connect us on to Abraham and Joseph and on throughout the rest of the Bible. So I think Genesis 5 in some way serves an important purpose to say to us in the middle of what we might hear and think, man, this is some hard stuff to wrestle with. Creation from nothing and all these things that are unfolding, the first couple and sin and this talking snake and this, this flood that's unfolding. 
But I think Genesis 5 reminds us that these are real people who real lived real lives. And so in that way, I think it causes us to wrestle with some maybe the questions you have of pushing back the truth of the opening chapters of Genesis. I think it's also a reminder, right, that there's some things that are hard about genealogies. And I think that second question begins to surface. Why? Because we've seen people in this very congregation, people like Edna Murray, who have lived 103 years. And we walk beside others of you who have buried your children after a few hours. Or known the heartache of miscarriages. And so I think it brings another tough question that we need to wrestle with today. Does God know or does God determine when I will die? Because as you wrestle with this, there's some, some hard things that unfold. And the Bible's answer, does God know or determine when we'll die? I think the Bible's answer is emphatically yes. That God determines not only the day that you and I were born, but also the day that you and I will die. And so I want to just share maybe just three scriptures with you as you wrestle with this genealogy, as you consider your own mortality today. We hear passages like James chapter 4 where James says to us, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. And he, and I, for some reason I didn't add, add the rest of the text here as he comes into verse 14. He says, You ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, he says, All such boasting is evil. Did you hear it? He says, You ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So as a reminder, James says to us emphatically, it's God's will whether you and I live or die. It's God who's in charge of that. Now that may make you uncomfortable, but the only other, op- other option is that somehow Satan and demonic forces or other realms or it's all by chance. The Bible doesn't leave our lives that way. It says to us there's a God who is our creator and our maker and our sustainer Who's decreed a certain number of days? Well, why do I say that? Well, Psalm 139.16 says it. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The psalmist says, listen, it, it was God who decided the days and that they were written even before we were born. Right? The God who knew us in our mother's womb and the forming of us. It was God who decreed and decided those things. I don't have time today, but you can write down Matthew chapter 10, 29 to 31. It's there that Jesus talks about these insignificant birds, these sparrows, and maybe the most remote place. And he says, you know what? Not one of them die apart from God's will, God's plan. And his point is, he comes to this, this climactic moment to say, listen, if God is watching over the birds and decreeing and deciding when they die, how much more value is your life? This ought to say, instead of crippling you and saying, wow, that's really hard, it ought to give you peace. This ought to comfort you to know that God is there sustaining your days. It's God who's there with you in the midst of heartache and sorrow as you face difficult moments. I think that's maybe the third question in the midst of this wrestling with Genesis 5 and death. Maybe asking the question, is this what God actually designed? And that's why Genesis 5, 1 and 2 are important, because it says to us, no. God created us in His image, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, to live with Him forever, to eat freely from that tree of life. That was what we were created for, to live in fellowship with God. But sin has broke that. It's distorted. In fact, that's why you and I are here today. It's because we realize, man, that we were created to live and to honor God, to image Him in everything we say and do, our actions and our thoughts. And yet sin has broken that. Death has come on the scene. 
And we're separated from our God. Yet God in His mercy and His grace has sent the good news of His Son to say there's hope in the midst of death and sorrow that sin's curse and grip will not be the final word. Hallelujah. There was a Savior who was crucified on the third day, buried and raised again on that third day. It's the good news of the gospel that if any of us would hear and believe that this first wave that Genesis 5 says is coming for us all death, it says that looms behind it a greater wave, a tsunami that will wipe you out for eternity. It's the judgment of God in hell. And the Bible says to us, beloved, that there is rescue from this path. There's hope for all of us. And that rescue comes, that hope comes. It says it's the gift of God. That's what Romans 6 and 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now listen, numbers in the Bible are important. If you had it, right, we could walk through it in Genesis chapter 5. But if you count up the different generations that are mentioned, there's 10 of them listed in Genesis chapter 5. If you watch other genealogies, oftentimes numbers of 10 or 7 or doublets of that, like 14s and on, are often used, like Matthew, different places in the New Testament. But the number 10 is significant and important. But in the midst of that, and hopefully you heard it in the reading, we came to a seventh generation. And in the seventh generation of this genealogy, again, this is not accidental. The number seven indicates completion, as if to say to us, in the midst of this reign of death over people, there's this exception, this moment to say, this is not what God intended. There's another way, beloved. It's the seventh generation. It's a man by the name of Enoch, and it ought to cause our attention to say, ah, this is what we were intended to do. Yes, that's what the Bible's saying to us. Listen to it again, verses 21 to 24. Of Genesis chapter 5. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So, listen to this. So we've heard twice in this refrain, right? The first time is in verse 22. It says, Enoch walked with God. Verse 24 repeats that refrain, Enoch walked with God. And now we see the outcome of this. Notice what it says here. Enoch walked with God and he was not. And the reason was for what? What was the reason, church? God took him. And so he's the exception. Everybody else lives, they have a son, they have other children, and then they die. Enoch is the exception. Yes, he has sons. And he has other sons and daughters. But Enoch walks with God. And he was not, for God takes him away. This is that answer to Bible trivia again, right? Who are one of the two people in the Bible who didn't die? You've got Enoch and then you've got Elijah. Are the two exceptions. And and so again, in this moment of saying that Enoch did not experience death, we need to ask the question, why? Why did Enoch not die? What's happening here? Why is he the seventh generation of this ten listed in the book of Genesis chapter 5? Or this chapter 5? What's he wanting to say? This number of completion, fullness, the number 7. This is significant. This should be causing all of us to realize and take in. I'm going to die. But the Bible wants me to see that there is another way. That there's hope. Even as you and I face death. That's what the Bible is saying to us. This is absolutely important that we just wrestle with this for a moment. 
And so as we take it in, we ask, well, what's different about Enoch? The refrain we get is Enoch walked with who? He walked with God. Now, this is an exception just to Enoch. You're going to see in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah walked with God. As you listen throughout the book of Genesis, you're going to hear another man, Abram or Abraham, as he becomes known, walks with God. And it says that they, again, they walk faithfully with God. But maybe you ask, well, what happens when someone walks with God? Well, think about it just practically, right? My parents were, how many of you are walkers in this place? Yeah, there's, there's some walkers, man. There's some folks over here that are like, just like, man, they're, they're sneakers are just smoking around that gym. And, that I, and I ran into some in, in the community and they just wanted to say on behalf of, of the community, they want to say thank you. They want to say thank you. Some of them are rehabbing in winter months and they can't get out. And so that allows them access to be able to come into a safe place where it's warm and kept. And they just, on behalf of the community, they want to say thank you. And so, man, we ought to be thankful, right, that God's given us. That's a gift from God, right, that we're able to share with our community. We're to be able to be good stewards. So on just behalf of some of them, I want to say to you, thank you. We appreciate it. We're thankful that you give, that you help keep lights on and the air in there and different things to keep them warm. And, and so, again, but again, when you think about it, right, my parents were walkers. And so, man, it was just kind of like their daily ritual that they would come home and, and either we would have supper and then they would walk or they would walk and then we would have supper but man, you, you were there. They were talking. They were laughing. They were listening to one another. Even that, as you think about when you walk with somebody, right? I mean, yeah, you may take in like a moment. You see this creature or something happening in nature around you. But often you you draw that other person. Did you see that? Did you hear that? Do you, you see what's happening? It, it's this way in which we fellowship with one another. This walk represents a relationship. Think about it. How you hear from God. Well, you hear from God through his word. That's why you're here this morning. Or one of the reasons, we, we speak to God in prayer, just as we've been doing throughout the service. And then we live in the power of God's Holy Spirit that we might honor and glorify Him. Enoch, again, walks with God so faithfully that this man doesn't die. Now, I don't want you to be confused here. The Bible isn't saying that Enoch lived such a good life that he was sinless and therefore he didn't die. How do I know that? Well, it's not just a guess. The New Testament actually tells us that truth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. Listen to this. By faith. That's this chapter, right? This, this chapter is just continually this refrain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Did you hear it? It doesn't say by works Enoch was taken up or by being a really good dude Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And if you're really good, that'll happen to you too. No, the Bible says there is only one way. There's only one route of pleasing God. There's only one way to be acceptable to God. And what is that church? It's by faith. And listen, that's made very clear in the next verse, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now that's important, right? Now listen, the writer's not just haphazardly throwing things together. He says that only faith is what makes you pleasing to God. Now listen again, that's important. Why? Because look, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having what? Done what, church? please God. Then how did he do it? The next verse answers it. Faith. Isn't that hope for you today? Thinking, oh man, I got this long list of things. If I'm ever going to be like an Enoch and ever escape death, 
Then I got to do this and this. I mean, like that, that's religion. It is so tiresome and wearisome and burdensome. That's not walking with God. Walking with God, beloved. The way to escape death, the Bible says to us through Hebrews 11 and Genesis chapter 5, it's by faith. That's why the gospel is good news. It's not by works. Did you hear that this morning? You are saved by grace through faith. The truth is Enoch was not good enough. Noah who walked with God was not good enough. Abraham who walked with God was not good enough. But there was one who was good enough. There was one who came. And he pleased God through a perfect life. And therefore, beloved, he goes to the cross that his perfect life might be credited to you. How? By faith. By that blood. And that your sinful life might be debited and taken from you and placed upon him that he takes the payment by faith. Do you see it? This is the way to eternal life. It is through faith in the Son of God. That's what Enoch's life says to us. And the good news is for all who come under that shed blood, then, beloved, we experience the resurrection. Why? Because Christ Himself is the first fruit. That's why we celebrate. That's why we gather Sunday morning after Sunday morning. We remind ourselves, Christ has overcome sin and the grave. He has risen. It's the hope that we have. And so I think that leads us to a place of saying, well, then is Enoch's life, his holiness, his godliness, his walking with God, is it insignificant? No. I just don't want you to have it in the wrong order. You hear me? It's possible to get it in the wrong order. We seek eternal life by our works. No, we begin with faith, and it's faith that produces. It's God's grace. It's, as we're going to see in a minute, the Holy Spirit who produces this walk of faith, this walk of holiness and godliness. And that brings us to our fourth truth. God, through the Holy Spirit, gives gifts us with sin-crushing power. God, through the Holy Spirit, gifts us with sin-crushing power. Again, we might hear this call to walk with God and think, well, man, that was Enoch and that was Noah and that was Abraham. Buddy, that's like a pretty elite list of guys. That is not me. Micah 6, 8, that we prayed earlier, in fact, says it is us who are in Christ. Listen to what it says. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? This, this is a blanket to the people of God. This isn't like for the spiritual elite. This is for all of us. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's the way of life. That's an Enoch way of life. It's, it's, it's doing justice. It's loving kindness, loving mercy. I, I've been wrestling so much with that statement there. Loving kindness, loving mercy. Do you love it? And walking humbly with your God. A.W. Tozer states the goal of every Christian should be this, to live in a state of unbroken worship. To live a lifestyle of ongoing walking with God, this union with God. Now let's be honest, if you're walking with somebody and the whole time they're on their phone, or they're playing their harmonica and you can't, like, you can't even communicate and talk, it's hard to have much of a relationship happening. 
In the same way, I think we're fooling ourselves when we get out our, our sinful habits and we just play them along as if our worldly desires don't matter to God. I'm good, God. I've said a prayer. I've gone to church. No. If we are to walk with God, if we are to please God, then we are to be people who live by faith. And beloved, that is not just simply believing the right things. Yes, it is that. But it's also bearing fruit and walking in with God in holiness and righteousness. And here's the good news. That when the Old Testament talks about walking with God, the New Testament picks it up and it says, uses this verbiage so often, walking in the Spirit. As if to say to us again, this truth, right? That God through the Holy Spirit gifts you and I with sin-crushing power. That temptation no longer has to rule your life. Those sinful desires no longer have to reign and rule over us. That there is another way. There is the power to walk with God. It is by faith. And those who come to God in faith receive God's Holy Spirit. And so listen to what Galatians 5 and 16 says. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Hear that refrain again. Similar. Again, back to Enoch. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk with God. Notice what happens. And you will, notice what he says here, not gratify the desires of the flesh. And maybe just... Just for a moment here, what the desires of the flesh are. Let God's word just be the application here. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Our sinful flesh is warring, Paul says, to keep us from walking with God. We, we are wrestling with sinful flesh, a spiritual enemy. Notice he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, if you're walking with God, if you are in the Spirit, you are not under the law. And look what he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says they're not walking with God. And if you're not walking with God by faith, he says, listen, I want you to see and know you will not inherit the kingdom. That's God's word. But listen to this. So the fruit, not all the spirit, not only puts to death our sinful nature. Listen to what it does again as we as we finish out. But the fruit of the spirit, verse 22 of Galatians five is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. So the Spirit in us, beloved, is not only telling us to what to say no to, it's also producing what we should be saying yes to. Do you see that evidence? Is there evidence that you are walking with God, that you are walking in the Spirit? This is the Enoch way of life. To the unbelievers here today, I want to be clear with you, Enoch is the exception. The vast majority of most godly people in the Bible, they suffer, they struggle, and they still die. Yet the good news is they don't suffer or struggle or die alone because God promises that He will always be with them. In fact, their suffering, their struggling, even point point the fact that their death is not pointless. That God is using our hard moments, our struggles in life to bring Him honor and glory and to reveal the fact that we are walking with God by faith. So I want to ask you, unbeliever, death will come for you. 
Just the same as it will come for all of us unless the Lord returns. Are you ready? Have you considered today your mortality, where you will spend eternity? This text causes you to wrestle with that very truth. Where will you spend eternity? The only hope of rescue from God's judgment that is to come is to put your faith in His Son, Jesus. I compel and urge you this hour, do not resist it. To the believers in this room, this passage reminds us of the normal Christian life, of God's ordinary means of grace, so to speak. In our daily walking with God by faith, we have to ask, well, what's that daily walk look like? It's what you're doing this morning, gathering with this church body, meeting with other believers in Sunday school to study the Word together. It's studying God's Word on your own daily. It's singing the songs to God. It's joining us in prayer and living a life of prayer. You see, I think so often we hear about walking with God and we think it's all these spiritual great things that we're after. But God so often uses just the ordinary means of grace to sanctify us and transform us. And beloved, I'll tell you what I've found, that often is the hardest. It can be easier to give one week Or can give a a time, but man, that daily dying to ourselves, I have found that to be the most difficult for my soul. But beloved, that is at the heart of the walk with God. So do not minimize it and guard against our sinful flesh wanting us to lead us to say, that's not that important. I don't have to read today. I don't have to pray. That, That is true, beloved. We don't have to. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Beloved, that's at the heart of our relationship with our walk with God. It's at the heart of it. Believer, I want you to be encouraged by what death can't steal from this passage. Four things, and I'll leave you with this. One, your legacy. Our lives continue on to the people we love and we impact. Secondly, death can't steal our relationship with God. Death was all around, yet Enoch walked with God. Third, death cannot steal our eternal life. Amid death... God gave life. Fourth, death cannot take away God's promises. Despite sin, the curse, death, all those things reigning around, God's promise that He would bring one who would crush the head of the enemy from Genesis 3 and 15. How does this chapter end? With Noah and his family. It's this reminder, encouragement, beloved, as you and I believers face death, let us be reminded that God is greater. But I do want to encourage you with this verse as we close. Something to meditate as you contemplate your own mortality. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. This passage here causes all of us to slow down and consider our end. And it ought to teach us to number our days. I love you, beloved. I pray that God's word is a balm to your soul and encouragement to your walk with him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the walk with God is by faith. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, I pray now for those who are overwhelmed with many things. I pray that they might be like Mary and just come and sit at your feet 
and be occupied with the most important thing. Just hearing their Savior. Just resting in Him. Father, fill us with Your Spirit that we will walk with God this week and bear fruit. Saying no to our sinful passions and submitting to You that You in us produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. To the glory of God we pray. Amen.